What are we to do with Joseph? Now, I'm not talking about the Old Testament technicolored coat, Joseph. I'm talking about the New Testament nativity figure, Joseph. What are we to do with Joseph? Now, if you're selling a house, some may know exactly what to do with Joseph. I'll show you a picture on the screen. See that there? That's about a 15-centimetre high picture of Joseph. Uh, You may be able to see that he has a toolbox in his left hand and a saw in his right hand. Think about how you would use that to sell a house. Well, this is how it works. Uh, I kid you not, uh, you can spend $6.49 at Amazon and they will send you a little plastic Joseph with instructions. When you bury this little guy in your backyard and follow the instructions, your house is guaranteed to sell. It's in the instructions and it's in writing. Dig a hole, pop them in, cover them up, and your house will sell. Now, this is the logic, and it's a big stretch. Joseph was a carpenter, and carpenters build houses, so he must be the patron saint of all things real estate. (laughs) After mentioning this in a sermon, one minister received a letter the next week. Dear minister, your sermon reminded me of when my wife used St. Joseph to sell our holiday house. The only St. Joseph she could find was a nativity figure holding the baby Jesus. Now, I refused to bury Jesus in the backyard. So she did it herself. Anyway, she credits St. Joseph for selling our house, though it wasn't soon enough for me. The idea, she tells me, is once you sell the house, you're supposed to dig him back up and take him with you. However, she forgot where she buried the Jesus. And so when the neighbour asked me, why is my wife on the back lawn crawling around, I just said she was looking for Jesus. (laughs) However, putting aside this foolishness, what are we to do with Joseph? You see, unlike the wise men seeking, the shepherds watching, the angels declaring, and his lovely fiancée giving birth, Joseph just seems to slip under the radar, doesn't he? So for many today, he's just an extra in our nativity scene or a real estate aid. And we know there must be more to Joseph than this. So this morning, we're going to dig into Scripture to find exactly what. Uh, This morning, we're going to explore two things. First of all, what the Bible tells us about Joseph. And secondly, what we can learn from Joseph. What do we know about Joseph and what can we learn? So what do we know about Joseph? Well, first of all, In the Gospels, Joseph has no speaking part. He doesn't speak. There are words from everyone else, the wise men, King Herod, the shepherds, the angel, Mary, and others, but Joseph is silent. Now, it's not because he's mute. Uh, The Gospels make it clear that he can speak. It's just that there are no words recorded on his lips. And I wonder whether this is one of the big reasons why he slips under our radar. He has no speaking part. The other thing we know is that he's a carpenter. In Matthew 13:55, the locals from Nazareth say this in reference to Jesus, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? So this is where we find out that Joseph was a carpenter. Thirdly, Joseph was a direct descendant of King David. So he was more than just a carpenter, and he he had um, no wealth. He was just a a sort of peasant carpenter. 
But both the genealogies of Jesus that are in the Gospels make it clear that Joseph's line goes back directly to King David. Uh, fourthly, there's a tension about Joseph being Jesus' father. Now, when I mean tension, I don't mean a family tension between Joseph and the rest of the family, not at all. There's every indication from the Gospels that they were a strong, healthy family unit. Now, the tension lies behind a one-off miracle, an amazing miracle that's never happened beforehand and hasn't happened since. And that miracle is the virgin birth. You see, God himself, we're told in the Bible, is the biological father of Jesus. But this presents the gospel writers with a major problem. How can they communicate this when Joseph is on the scene? Everyone will just assume that Joseph's the father and anyone suggesting a virgin birth must be crazy. So each of the four gospels has a different way of addressing the fact of there's a virgin birth yet Joseph's on the scene. Mark takes the easy option and doesn't mention Joseph at all. John's pretty similar. He mentions Joseph, but in another context. So it's left to Matthew and to Luke to deal with this thorny issue. How do we communicate that Joseph is not the father when it's obvious to everyone in the universe that that's the greatest possibility? Well, Luke and chapter 3, verse 23 begins his genealogy like this. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph. Now, in the previous chapter, he had explained in great detail the virgin birth. And in this phrase here, explains and underlines that Joseph was not the biological father. He was a son, so it was thought of Joseph. Matthew tends to take this on a little bit head on. In Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And so Matthew directly deals with the issue of the virgin birth. However, we know the story. Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant and he's mortified because like everyone else, he assumes that Mary has been sexually active outside marriage. And so he's left with a problem. The law of God is clear and that he should break off the engagement. In fact, the word of God said that he could go to the elders that meet at the gate and put a charge against her and the law of God required that she would be killed. And that's his option. But because he was a kind man, he decided to break off the engagement quietly so not to bring her to public disgrace or even really to save her life. And so that's his decision, to break off the engagement until an angel appears in a dream and says, no, this pregnancy is from God. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the law had commanded and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And so this is how Matthew is communicating that when it comes to the birth of Jesus, that Joseph had no part. And skeptics still today ridicule the idea of the virgin birth. It's obvious to everyone who looks on that Joseph must have been the father. The word of God is very clear. Jesus was not born due to a husband's will, but by the miracle of God. But for Joseph, that tension remained all his life. Who's the father? And this brings us to our next point. Joseph fulfilled the role 
of a father. Yes, he was no biological father, but he was a great, he was a wonderful stepfather. And we see Joseph fulfilling the role of being a father in a number of times. It is he who names the baby Jesus. Yes, he's told by an angel, but it was the father's prerogative right to announce the baby's name. He has Jesus circumcised on the eighth day, just as the word of God says. He takes them every year to the Passover festival. He supports them, first as a refugee when they escape to Egypt. He supports the family there. And then when they come back, he even teaches Jesus his trade as a carpenter. And so he was a good father. We see something of this tension, though, between which father does Jesus belong to in the account of the temple when Jesus, as a young lad, is lost and the parents spend three days looking for him. Pick this up in Luke chapter 3. Verse 38, his mother said to Jesus, Son, why have you treated us like that? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had been in my father's house? Notice the word father is used twice here. Your father and I, says Mary, referring to Joseph as a stepfather. And then Jesus responds by saying, I had to be in my father's house, referring to to his biological father. So even in this lovely story where we have mum and dad anxious about their son and looking for him, we still have that tension there between, well, whose father is is Jesus? Is it Joseph? Is it the living God? And so the gospel writers are very clear and very careful that we understand who is who. Finally, what else do we know about Joseph? In all likelihood, he died before Jesus' public ministry, sometime between when Jesus was 12 and when he was 30. That reference I had to Joseph in the temple with Mary looking for Jesus is the last reference in the Gospels to Joseph. It's all silent. There are indications, though, that he did pass away. In Mark chapter 3, we, we see Jesus' family who are about to go and look for him. When the fa- his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. And then a few verses later, we read in Mark 3.31, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. And when the lists of family are used in the gospel during Jesus' ministry, Joseph is left out. And this is even more clear in John chapter 19. With that wonderful exchange of Jesus on the cross with the disciple John and Mary. And so Jesus is on the cross. This is John 19:26. When Jesus saw his mother and disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her in to his home. Now, that would have never happened if Joseph was still alive. If Joseph was still alive, Mary would be living, of course, with her husband and not need to be taken in. But if she was a widow, then this exchange makes sense. So, just a summary now. What do we know about Joseph from the Bible? Well, first of all, we know that he has no speaking part. He was a carpenter and he taught Jesus his trade. He was a direct descendant of King David, which has tremendous implications of who Jesus is. There's a tension about Joseph being Jesus' father uh, in the context of the virgin birth and what that means. 
But Joseph was a wonderful stepfather. He fulfilled the role of being a dad. And in all likelihood, he died before Jesus' public ministry. So really, that's a summary of what the Bible tells us about Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. But what can we, what can we learn about Joseph? What can we take home today? Well, most of what we know of Joseph when it comes to the nativity story is found in Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, Joseph serves as a key role, much more than the few references indicate. And it's all to do with the word righteous, being right with God and being right with other people. In the gospel of Matthew, righteousness is a very strong and powerful theme. Matthew was always asking the readers, who is righteous? What does being righteous look like? Why are the Pharisees not righteous? If they aren't, who is? Indeed, when the Pharisees claim that they are righteous, Jesus would often say, no, you're not. I know what a righteous person looks like. And then he would go on to explain. I think of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said three things about uh, a righteous person. A righteous person is not someone who prays long prayers in public so everyone could see. A righteous person is not someone who makes it obvious when they fast so everyone could admire them. And a righteous person does not make sure that the coins fall loudly in the offering plate so everyone can hear. Jesus was saying, no, being righteous is being like my father. For we learn early in Matthew that Joseph was a righteous man. And Matthew introduces Joseph as a key figure for the rest of the gospel, even though he doesn't get much of a mention. In Matthew 1.19, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so Joseph, we are told, is a righteous man. And there are two ways that this verse and the next few verses show us what a righteous person looks like. And the first characteristic of a righteous person is they are kind. When Joseph heard Mary was pregnant... He knew the law allowed him to bring death charges against Mary and that he could have her put to death. But Joseph was a kind man, and so he set about breaking off the engagement quietly. A righteous person is a kind person, and Jesus learnt this from his father. But not only is a righteous person kind, they are also obedient. Obedient to God's word. We see Joseph being obedient to God's word when the angel angel spoke to him a few times. The angel said, take Mary to be your wife. Name the child Jesus. Fly to Egypt. Return from Egypt to Nazareth. And each time when he heard God's word from the angel, he obeyed. But Joseph was also obedient to God's written word. Circumcised Jesus on the eighth day. Took Mary to the temple for her rite of purification. Passover each year. Righteousness means being obedient to God, and Jesus learnt this from his Father. So when Jesus came across Pharisees claiming to be righteous, he would say, you're not righteous. My Father is righteous. He was obedient to God's word, and he was kind. I see nothing of my Father in you. And we see this come together most clearly one day in the temple. 
One day in the temple, some Pharisees and teachers of the law bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. The law says she must die. What do you say, Jesus? And so if you remember the story, Jesus bends down and starts writing in the sand with his finger, writing in the dirt. We don't know what he's writing. But maybe he was remembering back 30 years when a righteous man could have demanded death for his fiancée because she had sex outside marriage. Maybe he remembered back to that man and remembered that that man was both kind and obedient. Anyway, after a time, Jesus stands up and looks into the eyes of his accusers and he cannot see anyone in front of him who is both obedient and kind. And so he says to the men, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And then with great kindness to the woman, if they will not condemn you, neither will I. Go and sin no more. Isn't that a wonderful combination of kindness and obedience to God's word. My question is, which father did Jesus learn that from? Did he learn that from his heavenly father or his stepfather? At the beginning of this sermon, I said, what are we to do with Joseph? I hope that none of you will go home this afternoon and slip onto the internet and purchase yourself a little plastic Joseph to try and sell your house for the rest of us. You go home, and if you've got a nativity scene set up, look at Joseph with fresh eyes. When you dust him off at the end of Christmas and pack him away with Mary and the baby Jesus, remember that Joseph was a righteous man. He was right with God, and that meant that he was both obedient to God's word and so very kind. Jesus learnt this from his father, and so can we. Let's pray.